we're going to be talking today about what stage are you in. And uh, I want to read to you in a moment from 1 John. And what I'm talking to you about, I know I'm not trying to elongate the series of imperfect disciples. You could just get rid of the series title if you want. And we need to talk about what's taking place when I talk about what stage are you in, because there's something that John wants to speak to us. And I'm going to ask you at the end of service, what stage are you in? And I want you to be able to ask the Holy Spirit that question and then let him answer. Don't answer for him, but let him answer to you. What stage are you in in your development? In the book of 1 John, chapter 2, John is speaking to us and he says this. <clears throat> he said, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for, my, for his name's sake. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you have known the father. And I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. Now, multiple times, John talks about fathers, young men, toddlers, and we're going to get through this and talk about some of these different stages, because the goal is to mature. That's what discipleship's about. We're to grow in our walk with Christ. Amen? Good, right? Okay, we're supposed to grow naturally. It's supposed to happen. And, and so there's three stages that are, are brought up here in the midst of Scripture. If you were to go back to the Gospels in John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So what he's saying in 1 John is, this is being written to you because the first generation of disciples walked with Jesus, but just because you and I are not physically, visibly walking with him doesn't mean that he's not here. It doesn't mean that his word is now irrelevant. Christ is with us and his desire is relationship. You see, the, the first generation disciples, they got to interact with Christ. They were physically there with him. And John when he's speaking in the book of 1 John, he's speaking to the second generation of disciples who are now no longer physically there. Um, so John writes to them to let them know that of utmost importance is their closeness with Jesus Christ. So he's writing to them, and as he's writing to them, he's writing to you and to me as well. He's speaking to us today to tell us that it is important, of utmost importance, to have fellowship with Jesus, even if we're not physically interacting like the first generation of disciples did. So he writes 1 John, and he says, it applies to you and to me today. Uh, one of the things he does is he first talks about little children. He said, you know, that he writes to little children. He means infants and newborns and is what he means. And he's saying, in other words, no matter where you're at in your journey, he says, you can experience God. Why? Well, because you've been forgiven your sins. Verse 12 says, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. In other words, you are who you are by the grace of God and nothing else. He forgives your sins. And you see, we, we all have, uh, have this in common that we have been forgiven of our sins. And um, Jesus says he's paid for it. First John chapter 2, verse 2 says that he himself is the propitiation, is a big word, for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the whole world. Propitiation just means payment. In other words, Jesus paid for it. 
and took care of it all on the cross tree of Calvary. So it's not, I'm not going to heaven because I've never sinned. I'm going to heaven because I've been forgiven. Amen? Okay, so it's not like you have to be so perfect, and if I'm perfect, then I'll get into heaven because nobody's going to get there on that merit. We get to heaven because we're forgiven, because we, we all sin and fall short of the, 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 the glory of God, but, but it's because of his great love and his grace that we have this way into heaven. So if you don't know if you're a child, it's hard to fo- uh, grow up in a family right. I'm going to talk to you about, <clears throat> I'm giving you the stages ahead of time, but you'll, you'll see we're going to talk about toddlers, we're going to talk about teenager, and then we're going to talk about fatherhood. And, and you're going to be able to relate some of this to like your immediate family. You'll be like, yeah, I get that. I understand that. But what I'm hoping you do is make this leap over to your spiritual life, whether you're in the toddler stage or the teenage stage or the fatherhood stage. And the question at the end of the, end of the message will be, what stage am I in? And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit that. We've got to make sure that we're asking this and not just blowing through life and trying to, to do what we want when we want. Yes, we, we are asking God uh, to have his way in us, but what stage are you in? Because if he thinks you're in one stage and you think you're in another, that's going to be a problem. And so we have to make sure we understand what's being said to us in the middle of, of the word of God here. So three stages of discipleship. He repeats two of the stages twice, by the way, so that we don't misunderstand how important this is. And the first stage is toddlerhood. Or you can just put on toddler if you want. He says in verse 13, I've written to you children because you know the Father. He's saying, when he says children, it means toddler. Um, not just being born, but a, a toddler is at the stage where they can recognize things, right? They can recognize. They might not know everything, but they can recognize things. So, they may not know, my, my, I'll use my granddaughter's example. She recognizes Ben as her father, right? Because they interact all the time, because they're always talking and playing, because, you know, they're up at 3 a.m. or whatever it is. But she recognizes Ben as her father, but yet doesn't know why Ben does what he does doesn't know why he, he, he would have to go to work or go buy some groceries or go uh, mow the lawn or any, you know, all of this stuff that you got to take care of. She just recognizes, that's my, that's my dad. And that's, that's the toddler stage. Now that's good when you're a toddler. But there has, to be, there has to be more to it than just that. In this stage of toddlerhood, you're limited by recognition. It's just recognition. So when you're two years old, uh, and somebody has to uh, change your diaper. That's expected. But when you're 22 and somebody has to change your diaper, there's an indication there that something's wrong. Can we agree on that? Okay. It's just, I, I'm not making fun of it or being goofy. It's just something's not right. Something's, something's wrong. Um, a two-year-old doesn't know much about God, and that's okay. You know why? Because they're two. But a 22-year-old who says there is no God, we've got a problem, or I don't believe in God, that can become a problem. Toddlerhood 
in spite of how long you've been converted, unfortunately, some stay in toddlerhood. They stay stuck in this stage because they don't want to go beyond recognition. Oh yeah, I know there's a God. I know God's good, but I can't really define God or who he is to me. I just recognize him as being God and that's good enough for me. And what it does is it limits you and your ability to grow spiritually. And sometimes we stay stuck in this toddlerhood stage because it's safer. We feel more comfortable and we don't want to move on to the next stage. But we've got to make sure that if we're going to grow spiritually, we have to be willing to push forward. You see, if you stay in this place of toddlership, spiritually speaking, we're talking about now, I know God, I love God. Uh, you know, I, I declare he's my savior, but I, just, I, I don't want to do anything more. I just, you know, if somebody were to come and I'll keep picking on Ben and my granddaughter for now, but you know, if, if this is assuming Charlie could talk right now, but she can't, but if somebody comes to her and says, so what's your dad's favorite color? And she goes, I don't know. Well, what TV show does he like to watch? Don't know. What's his middle name? I don't know. Uh, we would question how well she really knows her father, wouldn't we? Right? Why, why can't she answer those questions? Because there's been no relationship that happens. And so you see, in this state of being a toddler, though you recognize the father, the question is, do you really know him? And you don't have to be spiritually religious. It's about relationship. That's what it's all about. And he says, toddlerhood's good. Now, remember, I'm not talking about just your physical age. When I was... Uh, when I gave my heart to Jesus, I was 22 years old. And I know, you know, some people are like, well, you're the pastor. You grew up in a Christian home. How did that happen? It, it just is what it is. It wasn't, it didn't become personal to me until I was 22, you know? And I used to think, well, you know, I grew up in church. Isn't that good enough? You know, my dad's a pastor. Don't I get grandfather clawsed into heaven or something like that? Nope, doesn't work that way. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So I am 22 years old and I've said yes to Jesus and I'm, in the I'm a 22-year-old on the outside and a toddler on the inside. And it starts there, but it's up to me at that point whether I'm going to remain as a toddler for the rest of my life or am I going to be willing to grow? Am I going to let the Lord lead me through these stages in life? Am I going to get to know who Father God is to me personally? Or am I just going to remain knowing I have a dad and that's good enough? You see, he wants us to recognize him for who he is, our savior, our healer, our deliverer. He, he's the one that sets us free. And, and, and again, I'm going to ask at the end of service, what stage are you in? And I don't want you to answer me verb verbally, okay? I prefer you don't. Um, but you let the Holy Spirit speak to you. That leads me to the next stage, right down teenager. Oh, we love the teenager years, don't we? <laughs> All the parents just groaned. He said in verse, the second half of verse 13, he said, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. You could take out young, young men and put teenager in there. They're young men. The second half of verse 14, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you. Okay, we're going to spend a little more time here on teenagers because that's what we do, right? I mean, if you've ever, if you're here today, and you have raised or are currently raising teenagers, you know, God's blessings on you because you know that there's this internal struggle that takes place. Uh, but in our walk with Christ, it's the same way as we start to grow. There can be some resistance. It says in the Word of God, I have written to you, young men, teenagers, you know. Uh, so when I was 22, come around 
32, 34, I'm older, but I'm still kind of in my teenage years spiritually. And I'm, I'm learning and I'm growing. But I was going from toddler to teenager. But here's the problem. A teenager is in conflict because they have, they've got to overcome something that's coming at them, the Bible says. The Bible said that uh, I write to you young men, and then it says because the enemy is coming at you. It's coming at you. And he says that you must overcome then the evil one. Anybody here that has a teenager knows this. There is going to be a clash. Amen? Do we agree on that? It's going to happen. And, and, and if you don't have a teenager, you've been one. And you've gone through probably that clash. And you know what it is to have that clash. You see, as a toddler, you're in control of the toddler. Kind of sort. You know what I mean? Toddler, you can manage them. You can, you can discipline them. You can physically pick them up and move them around and have them do whatever you need to. You, 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 can, you can ground them. You can put them in timeout. You can spank them. And I'm not here to preach on to spank or not to spank you. But you get my point. A toddler, you can manage and move around. A toddler is dependent on you. But a teenager, a teenager is in transition. They are dependent upon you to some degree, right? To some degree. The problem is, is they want to be independent from you. So they're dependent on you to some degree, but in the same stroke are wanting to be independent from you. They are a kid who is wanting to be an adult, is what it is. <clears throat> when I was younger, growing up, I, I, I gave my mom and dad a lot of heaven, you know what I mean? Um, and, and it's because as a teenager... You can be quiet now. <laughs> uh, security, we got a guy up front here. Um, I gave him a hard time. Not because I was trying to go out of my way to give him a hard time, but I was facing that internal struggle. You know, I want to be free. I'm a man. And then the other part was like, but I don't know how to pay rent or insurance or, you know. It, I was this, this wrestling match. So I tried to voice, you know, what I wanted, but at the same stroke, I knew I didn't have all that I needed to know to manage things well. And one of the phrases I always said, and I think it's written in the teenage handbook of life, is the phrase, I know, I know, I know, I know. But I didn't know anything, but I didn't know that I didn't know anything. And the reality is, is my dad knew more than I knew, but I could never admit that as a teenager. He just, that's in the book too. You don't admit that to your parents, right? And so you resist it. You fight against it. It's not that I was trying to hate on my father. It's just I didn't agree with him, and I was trying to find my own voice, and there was this internal conflict. Okay, now let me bring it back to our spiritual journey with Christ. When we're growing, we're going to face difficult times. And the Word of God says right there in 1 John, he said, I write to you young men because you have already overcome the evil one. But he also says, and you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you. Now, this, is, this is huge to understand what that means. When I was a teenager, I, I've already shared that I thought I, I knew everything. Uh, but one phrase I remember thinking, it's not like I spent every day thinking this, but there's times, I don't know, at the age of 15, 16, 17, it was like this. I'm almost a man. Right? I'm almost a man. You, uh, why was I thinking that? I was thinking that because our society says that at the age of 18, you are now an adult, and I'm a man, and I will have arrived. The problem is, I had no idea where I arrived at. I had no idea how I got there, and I had no clue how to get out of it, because I didn't want to be where I was at. 
And I realized then that I didn't know as much as I thought I knew. And, and there was this internal conflict. But I was saying, I'm almost a man. What defines a man? Is it society's uh, norm that says, here's the age, now you're legally responsible for all the stupid stuff you do? Well, yes, but that's not how God defines it. It's about your journey in life. And when we're talking about discipleship and our journey with Christ, we have to understand that some stages are, we're, we're in toddlerhood, but the desire is to get to the teenage level so that we can get to the adulthood or the fatherhood, as, as I'll talk about in a minute. And I know what you're probably thinking right now. Why can't we just skip over the teenage and go right from the toddler to the adult? It doesn't work that way. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You can't go around it. You've got to go through it. Because it's when you're going through it that you face difficult times. But here's the good news. He will go through it with you. But many times what we do is, is when we're going through and we're journeying through this difficult stuff, we stop because we don't like how it feels. And we want to go back to being a toddler. And that's why we have a lot of people in our world today with a mentality that's back here when they should be over here. Um, I'm almost a man. I wasn't, by the way. I, I, I was still trying to figure out what that meant. And, and I had this journey that I was on. Um, I was headed towards a clash, and I didn't know how to avoid it. I had to learn to go through it. And I was trying to figure out, how can I become independent? on my own, by myself, a man. And that's when I realized I'm not supposed to be by myself. I'm supposed to be leaning into the power of the Holy Spirit to lead me through life. I'm supposed to be listening to, to the Word of God so that it directs me. He says, I'm writing to your young men because he said, you're in a battle. When you're in your teenage years, you're in conflict constantly. And the enemy knows this. And this is why the enemy aims at you when you're a teenager, whether we're talking your physical age or spiritually, because he knows there's this internal conflict. He knows that you're going, I want to be, you know, I want to be me. And, but, but, but yet, I, I, I don't know how to do that. And you're kind of off kilter. That's when the enemy comes in and goes, boop, and tries to knock you down. Because you're out of, out of balance and you don't know what to do about it. So in John, he wrote it and he said, you've got to understand young men, meaning, and when he talks about men and fatherhood. Ladies, he's not leaving you out, okay? He's saying that when you're going through that conflict, don't be surprised that there's conflict. It's going to happen. Be more surprised that you're not leaning into God right now to lead you through the conflict because he's the only one that can. He says, I'm writing to you that when you're going through these battles and these struggles and these issues in life, don't be surprised by the struggle. I'm writing to you because you're in a battle. With who? The evil one, he says. You see, Satan's against... Any, okay, we say it all the time. I say it all the time. The enemy cares about three things, right? Steal, kill, and destroy. He aims at the teenage years because of this whole conflict that's going on, and I just don't quite know where I stand, and I want to be me, but yet I'm... And he just, he'll take anybody out, but he especially looks for weak spots where we waver. He's trying, why is the enemy so against teenagers? Why is the enemy so against, you know what I mean by teenagers, in our walk with Christ? You know, we're, 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 we're got a foundation, we're trying to build something. Why is he so against that? Because he knows that if you will get through the conflict that you're going through, you will become a father. And a father becomes a father because they have children. See, this is what discipleship's about. It's about 
not being perfect at life, but getting through it, learning and growing so that you can pass on to somebody else what it is that you know from your experience. And you start making disciples. That's what he means by fathers. We understand that when it comes to offspring, but he's using this to talk also about discipleship. If teens become fathers, he's only a father because he has kids. And the devil doesn't want teens producing disciples. He doesn't want that. So he comes at you. And he's, his goal is to keep you from progressing, to get you wrapped up in yourself, to get you so distracted by your problems. Like, don't they understand? And it, you know, if, if I were God, I would, you know, we start trying to come up with different things. But here's the point of being a spiritual teen. I put it in your outline. The point of being a spiritual teen is to learn how to overcome the evil one. If you're here today and you're 55 years old, but you've only been walking with the Lord for 13 years, think of it this way. You're a spiritual teenager. Is that bad, right, wrong? No, it just is what it is. And that's why you're facing so much conflict. That's why everybody talks about when they get saved. Oh man, it's just this honeymoon period. God's so good. Everything's so great. It's because you're a toddler and everybody's taking care of things for you. Yes, God's got your back. Yes, he saved you. But eventually as you grow, you start facing problems. And when you face problems or issues or whatever it is, you start questioning, is God really for me? Why am I facing all of this? Why? So that you can learn to identify it and overcome the evil one. And if you can do that, then you can move on to fatherhood, which creates more disciples. Do you follow that? Okay. Now, I know we know this, but do we know it here in our feet? And are we doing it? Or are we just saying, give me something good to hear so I can feel good about where I'm at? Are we going to do something with it? Um, you can't be an overcomer unless you have something to overcome. Think about that. Well, if God would just take care of all my problems and I never had a worry in the world, there is a place, and that's called heaven. But while we live here on this earth, he says, when something comes at you, don't look at it as like some big hammer that Thor's hammer is trying to smash you. Look at it more like, I'm greater, God's greater than this thing that's coming at me. I just got to figure out how to overcome it. I'd rather go around it. I'd rather go over it or under it, but I, I, that's not an option. And that's why we have to learn to abide in him, and he will lead us through it. Has anyone ever been to Stone Mountain, Georgia? Anybody? First service, we had a couple. I was surprised. Okay, well, of course you've been there. Uh, you had a great date take you there, didn't you? Me. We went there for vacation. We were much younger. <laughs> we had kids. They were younger. I don't even remember. Seven, eight, nine, ten. I don't know. Something like that. Stone Mountain, Georgia. There's an area there, and it has a huge mountain. Uh, and the goal that people always like to do is climb the mountain. And we're like, we're going to do this. We're going to go up there. You know, I had, I had a Bob the Builder spirit. <laughs> yes, we can. Until I got halfway up the mountain. And then I would, the whole family, I'm, I mean, it's hot, it's humid, sticky, sweaty. Uh, I didn't think I had to bring some fluids so that we could partake of that. So everyone's just starting to die. You know what I mean? I don't want to do this anymore. Let's sit down. I mean, Lisa's fainting over, not you know, actually, but looking faint, and I'm like, uh-oh, she's, and I was struggling, but I didn't want to let them all know that. Our kids are laying on rocks. <sighs> Dad, I'm dying. I'm like, you're not dying. Get up. Let's get, you know, and we're at halfway point. They're like, can't we just go back down? And I said, no, that is not an option, because I knew something. I knew at the top of the mountain, there was a concession stand. 
And I knew at the top of the mountain, they serve these big slushies, like icy, slurpy things, you know? And I know, I mean, they're my kids. I know that they just love it because it's sugar, liquid sugar. But we needed it. We were, we, were, we were parched. We were struggling. And I said, listen, we need to go up to the mountain because up at the top of the mountain, there is a concession stand. And here's, here's the perfect young child response. Then go get it and bring it to me. And I said, that is not an option. We are going to do this together. And we all got up. We made it up the mountain. I'll be honest, I was, I was struggling. I was hot. I was sweaty. I was sore. I was mad. I was grumpy. I'm all the dwarfs. List them, okay? And, but when I got to the top and we got that refreshment, everything was better. We were smiling. We were talking about what a great trip it was. I don't know why we were saying that, but, you know, yeah, we did it. We conquered this mountain. And we said things like, well, that wasn't that bad. Really? Let's go back an hour. We're all laying on rocks like roadkill, <laughs> you know. But here's my question. What is the stone mountain you're facing right now? What mountain are you journeying up that you feel like you're exhausted, depleted, worn out, spent, broken, hurting, and you're halfway up and you're saying, well, if God's so good, why doesn't he just go up and get the slurpee for me and bring it back to me? You know why? Here's the answer. That's not an option. He says, no. I, could he do that? Yes. Does he at times? Possibly. But what I have experienced is this. Like I did with my kids, he says, I'm not going to go get it for you and we're not going back down, but I will walk with you the rest of the way. And that's usually when I go, thank you, because I have somebody to lean on. My question is, what's your stone mountain? What is the thing that maybe it's been daunting and overwhelming, but we remember all of a sudden, wait, he's called me to be an overcomer. You can't be an overcomer unless you have something to overcome. So, why won't the devil get off my back? Well, it's because he wants you to learn as a teen. This is what the enemy will do. This is my opinion, okay? Y'all hear that? Did y'all hear that? Yeah. Just make sure. Why won't the devil get off my back? Why is he just messing with me and doing all of this stuff? Because he wants you and I to learn as a teen how to learn to take responsibility. The Lord wants us to learn how to take responsibility when we're in the middle of whatever mess, whether we created it or not, so that we can develop spiritually. I feel personally that one of the things we see in this world and the reason some things are falling apart is because we've got a bunch of people who don't want to finish going up the mountain. They do not want to take specifically responsibility for their actions or lack of them. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but I think there's just a bunch of people are saying, it's not my fault, it's not my problem, it's not my business. But the problem is, is what we're talking about is you. See, we, the enemy loves that kind of language because then he doesn't have to work very hard at destroying us. We're doing it to ourselves. And then it, it leaks out into our communities and such. You see, feeding a toddler is okay. If, if I take a bottle, my granddaughter, Charlie, and I put the bottle in her mouth, she attacks that thing. You ever see a baby that's hungry? You just get it right here and they go, 
and, and they get a hold of it. And they just go to town on that bottle. But if I take a bottle and try to feed my 22-year-old son, that's, something's messed up. Something's messed up. He should be feeding himself. I don't have to. I, I, we can dress Charlie and change Charlie's diaper. As a matter of fact, I've changed one dirty diaper. That's it so far. So far, I've, I've kind of flown under the radar. And they're like, Dad, you've never had to change a dirty diaper yet. And I said, nope. And they're like, well, why don't you change one? I said, because I already had kids. <laughs> this one's yours. <laughs> and I said, and beyond that, I said, you guys are new parents. You guys are eating it up, you know. Oh my gosh, I get to change your diaper, you know. Okay, I, I went through that. Now I'm at the stage where like, oh my God, I got to change a diaper. You know, it, it changes, Right. And then I know Glamo over here is excited to be able to change diapers and do outfits. So I'm just going to wait back here until the time when I have to change a diaper, right? It's not like I don't know how, but when the diaper change comes, somebody has to help her with that. She, she can't change her own diaper. That would be awesome if they could do that, but they don't. You have to change the diaper for them. They can't change their clothes at four months old. You have to change their clothes for them. But the first time you have to change a 22-year-old's diaper, that's a problem. And we have a lack of people who are willing to go through the difficult teenage years to get to adulthood. They would rather stay in toddlerhood, spiritually speaking. And they don't want to grow. And that's why John wrote this. He says, listen, the enemy's coming at you. Don't be surprised when he comes at you. Just keep running up that hill. Keep on going and let the Holy Spirit lead you. Well, how do I learn how to overcome the evil one? If you're in the habit of the enemy winning all the time and you're losing, then you're still in this teenage mentality because he said you are already an overcomer. In other words, the work's been done. You've been given the victory. You just have to make the climb and be willing to do that. Verse 13, he said, you've overcome the evil one. Verse 14, he said, you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Twice he said you're an overcomer. In verse 14, he tells you how you did it. The word of God abides in you. It abides in you. We will not overcome until we learn to abide in the word of God. We have to learn how to abide. If you never learn to abide in the word of God, you will forever remain a teenage Christian. If you get my analogies of the toddler, teenage, fatherhood. To abide means this. It means to hang out, to remain, to stay, to chill. <laughs> Just hang out with Jesus. Now, when your phone goes dead, what do you do? Go ahead, you can tell me. You plug it in. Your battery, uh, uh, when, it, when it dies, you take that little lightning cord, whatever, and your screen, ta-da, comes back to life. But it's not fully charged, is it? No, you got to let it abide on the charger. It might not charge as quick as you want it to, but we don't seem to have that problem when it comes to our cell phone. My phone's dying, plug it in, we'll go do our thing, and we let our phone just abide in the presence of the source of the power so that we can have what we want, our phone fully charged. When it comes to a relationship with God, he says, you will become an overcomer when you learn what it means to abide in the presence of Jesus. We must learn how to do that. Um, 
Coming to church, listening to sermons is great, but he says, it's not just about what you hear on, on Sunday. Do you take what you heard? Not me. It's not like I have some golden message here. I like, you know, got some guarantee that this will, you know, 10 people will get saved because you preach this message. There's nothing special about that. You know what is special? The presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And he says, are you going to take what the Holy Spirit speaks to you while, while this, this is all going on right here? Are you going to take that home and abide? What, 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 how, do you, how do you do that? How do you abide? Well, here's the thing. Um, we, we're in Iowa. We've got a lot of farms. A lot of people are corn or wheat, pig farms, cows. And one of the things I noticed about cows is they don't normally get too riled up, do they? They just, they just sit there and eat grass. You know what they do? They abide. <laughs> they, they, I learned this about you know, cows a long time ago, but they chew the grass eat that and they swallow it. But they have more than one stomach, right? So what they will do is they will regurgitate it, chew it some more. They'll swallow it again. Later on, they'll bring it back up. Now, that's disgusting for you and me. Thank God we don't have to eat like that. Like, well, there's that Taco Bell from two weeks ago. You know, I, I'm thankful we don't have to do that. But what they do is they bring back up that which was nourishing them and they ruminate is the word that they use. They chew it once again. And they swallow it, and they might bring it up a number of times because they're, they're learning to process that. Here's my question. As believers in Jesus Christ, are we abiding in his presence? Are we ruminating? I'm not asking you to go home and vomit stuff up. I'm saying, are we bringing that back up and saying, God, okay, I got this outline. What do you have to say to me? And that's great, but do it Monday or Tuesday nights or... It, it, while you're driving to work, that's what it means to bring it back up. Lord, where am I at? What stage am I at? How do I get out of this stage? Or do I just remain here? Am I, am I, am I, am I over here now? You know, Lord, what do you have to say? It always boils down to that. Because when you abide in the Word of God, nothing can stand against it. The enemy is allergic to the Word of God. Um, he can't hang with that. So it does not bother the enemy at all to hear you say the word of God. And there's something to be said about the power speaking that and you know, declaring the word of God. But that doesn't bother him as much as when you abide in the word of God because he can't hang with that. He cannot handle the truth. He cannot handle the truth of the word of God. So he's calling us to abide. What God wants us to do during the teen years is learn how to whip the devil with the word by abiding in it. By abiding in it. Uh, there's two ways. Do we have any tea drinkers here today? You like hot tea? Okay. All right. There's, two, there's probably more than two ways, but just for this, there's really two ways of making tea. You can, you can get the hot water, you can take the tea bag, and you can just dip it in there real quick and then pull it back out. You could do that, but that's not what most people do. What most people do is they put the tea bag in there and they, they let it steep, right? And it, you know what steeping is? It's the tea bag abiding, hanging out. And the longer it hangs out, the stronger the tea becomes. The more flavorful it becomes. What's my point? What are you trying to say, Pastor? What I'm trying to say is this. Don't just dip in on a Sunday and dip back out. Abide. Abide. And if you can do that, it leads you to the last stage, which is fathers. Number three is fathers. Um, verse 13 says, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. Verse 14 I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. Twice he says this. 
You see, a father is an adult grown from toddler to teen to father. You can't skip from toddler to father. And he wrote in the scripture, he said, I'm writing to you fathers who is from the beginning. He's not trying to say, I'm writing to you old, 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 old people. He's not saying that. What he's trying to say is this. You have, time has passed and you have experienced the difficulties and you've learned from them. You either learn how to help somebody avoid them or you can help somebody when they find themselves in that same situation, but you, you have some wisdom on your side. And over time, you come to know him. Not just know him here, but you know him. You know his favorite color. You know his middle name. You know what baseball team he loves. You know what I'm talking about? He says that's what it means in fatherhood is to know who Father God is. It's an intimate relationship. Not just in the toddler stage where we recognize, yeah, that's my dad. It's over here in fatherhood where we go, that's my, that's my dad. That's my father. And I know. I know him. I know him. You see... People can be legally married, but miserable together. Why? Because there's no relationship or there's no fellowship. And then it it bleeds out. This can also be true with Christians. If we're not careful with our Heavenly Father. You can be a Christian, but you're not having an intimate relationship with Him. You're not close. If If you don't have an intimate relationship, you won't know what the Father is doing. And if you don't know what the Father is doing, what in the world? How are you going to be able to uh, how are you going to be able to f- follow that and move along in life? So here's a question. How do I know? H- how do you know if you know him? How do I really know if I know him? Uh, how do I know if I'm an adult Christian? How do I know if I've grown? How do I know if I'm in this fatherhood stage or not? First John chapter 2, if you were to back up a couple verses, verses 3 through 6 says, Now by this we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, liar, pants on fire. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, trusts the love of God, then he's perfected by him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he, Christ, walked. See, the measuring stick is whether you're joyfully obeying him or 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 you're not obeying him because you don't know him. Discipleship has to do with the change of life uh, in attitudes and in actions. If you're not joyfully obeying Christ consistently, it's because you don't really know him. I'm not saying that to obey Christ always brings joy to my life, but I'll joyfully obey him even if I disagree, right? Because I, I know that God sees the big picture and I don't. I don't always like what he tells me. I don't always like what he has to say, but I know that he loves me and I know that he's got my back and I know that he's always looking out for my best. And he wants to perfect that. So it comes down to obedience. See, there's two types of obedience. One is forced and the other is free. You know what forced is. You clean your room or you're grounded. You go take out the trash or you're not going to get to watch TV. Or it, There's many ways we can force that. But then there's the free love. We, we give freely because of relationship. And, and we don't have to worry about being forced into obedience. We'll freely give it. What makes the difference between the two? Love. Love makes the difference. There was a uh, hus- husband and wife were married, and the husband gave the wife a sheet of paper, and it had 25 things listed on it that she was expected to do. And, and how late, ladies, doesn't that just warm your heart, by the way? And he said, you know, I expect these to be done. I expect you to do all of this. And he just kind of drilled that into her. And she was not happy. I don't understand it. Why, right? And she wasn't happy at all about this. 
she just got, felt the weight of the demand that was there, but he mandated, you know, you're going to do these. He died. She didn't cry. About a year later, she met a guy by the name of Bill. And Bill treated her like a queen. I mean, he just loved her regularly, all the time. And they abided with one another in relationship. While cleaning the house one day, uh, she found that list that her first husband had demanded and expected. And she had the laugh, she had the chuckle, because when she said she looked at the list, everything that the first husband demanded, she was already doing, just out of love. She didn't need a list. What made the difference? Abiding. It, love makes the difference. You see, the difference wasn't in the list, it was in the relationship. That's why it's, there's a difference between duty and delight. I don't love my wife because I have to. I love my wife because I get to. Did I get some brownie points there? But it's the truth. I don't have to do that, but I get to. I want to. That makes all the difference in the world. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying to us today. When it comes to discipleship, it's not a, necessarily a program, and it's not necessarily just some kind of thing that we ought to do. He's saying, I've, I've, called, I've called you my disciples. And I want you to know what that means, that you work out these issues to get from toddlerhood to teenage to becoming a father who reproduces other disciples. Because here's what happens. Parents, rules without relationship is only going to produce rebellion. If all they know are the rules and there is no relationship, as soon as they can break out of that home, they're gone. It'll happen. Knowledge without relationship, it will puff up. It blows you up. It makes you think you have something you really don't. Learning without abiding. You'll have more information, but you'll, you'll shrink spiritually. So it's better to abide with God relationally. Can we agree on that? Just to abide in his presence. And he says in 1 John 2.27 that the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you don't need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches uh, you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, just as it, as it has taught you, you will abide in him. In other words, he, he says right there at the beginning, you have the anointing. You have what it takes to abide in his presence. But do you have, do you have the time? Do you make it a priority? He says, you've already got everything that you will ever need. So let me just end with asking this. What stage are you in? What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you? If he's saying you're in a toddler stage, he's not saying that to be mean. He's saying this is just the reality. Let me walk with you. Let me run up that hill with you. Let me, let's climb this together. Maybe he, he's telling you you're, you're in the teenage stage. Don't, don't be offended. You become aware of it so that you can say, I thought I was further along. Or you might say, I didn't think I was that far along. Whatever it is, what matters not is what you say. What matters is what God says. Lord, where am I? Teenage stage, okay. What's next? What do I do now? Some of us, you're in the fatherhood, motherhood. You get what I'm saying? Stage. And he's saying, continue. Well done. Disciple others. Share the love. Share the word. You know, whatever that means. But only the Holy Spirit can speak to you about where you're at. Our job is to walk that out in obedience and abide in his presence. In Jesus' name, amen.
Father, I thank you for this, this word that you've given to us. I don't think it was just simply some kind of a message, but Lord, I believe it's just the cry of your heart as we face all of the difficult times and things that are going on in our life. Father, we want to make sure we have prioritized you as number one. So Father, I pray for those that are here today that are, they're right in the middle of Stone Mountain and they've lost their get up and go. They've lost their passion or their energy. Jesus, I pray that you would come alongside of them and remind them that there is something great at the top of this mountain. So today we declare that we are overcomers in Jesus' name. So Father, help us to walk in that power, in that strength, and in that anointing. And Jesus, throughout this week, would you bring back to our heart, teach us to abide in your presence, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.